Some of you are hard-hearted. Some of you just quit talking uh, in your, your marriage and your relationship, and you wonder why you're having problems. Well, I'm going to tell you why you have your problems, because you've quit talking. Look, I remember in those early days when you were dating, I guarantee you weren't talking about the weather. I mean, you were talking about each other, and then your future, and all the things you wanted to do, and your careers, and, and I mean, love began to blossom and bloom before long Cupid shot his arrows, love arrows into you. And I mean, you fell in love and you're thinking about your future together. And then you got engaged. Do you know what the word engaged means? If you go look it up in the dictionary, it means to do battle with the enemy. <clears throat> and then you got married. And all the small talk turned into a different kind of talk about the problems you're having at work. You know, the kids that you just started having and trying to get ahead and fixing up the house and keeping the car running, and you forgot about each other. You quit talking to each other and you quit communicating to each other. Your conversations are centered around all the problems you have in your life. And so you quit talking about your hopes, your destiny, your future, your plans, all those kind of things. And the love that you had begins to fade, and you just share a house. And we've been married almost 48 years. Sometimes it does feel like we share a house. I mean, we're so busy doing things. And in the ministry particularly, I mean, I, I think you, you probably just imagine all pastor does sit around all the time and uh, just work on their house and do sheetrocking. And <clears throat> that's in his spare time. But I mean, I, I don't know if you really know the responsibilities and the weight of that. You'll never know unless you do it. But I mean, it's a 60 to 80 hour a week job for me or more, Jeannie can tell you. And, uh, and I'm tired. I get tired and weary and it affects our family and our communication and all those types of things. But I usually hear the words later on saying, well, I don't love them anymore or, or I can't talk to them anymore. And every time we try to talk, it's an argument. And, and she's always saying, you know, I can't reach him. And, and, she, and the man says, well, she doesn't understand me. And so those are the kind of things I hear in relationship. I don't care if they've been married one year or 40 years or 50 years. I, I hear those kind of things. So a lack of communication is the most common problem in a marriage. And no marriage is immune to it. Every one of you are going to deal with it if you're not dealing with it right now. And the whole purpose of this marriage conference is to do one thing. is to get you back together again, to help you see some things in your life that you might need to make some adjustments to. And to really reflect on who you are. Look, you didn't get stuck with her. Men, you chose her. And there's a difference. We'll talk about that uh, when we talk about sex and intimacy. But uh, most just express dissatisfaction and complaints. But let me read this to you in Proverbs 18. It says, a man's stomach is, is satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. And from the produce of his lips he shall be filled. You know the scripture says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Our words, the way we communicate, either communicate life or death. Now, every time you're speaking, you're either speaking life or you're speaking death. You're planting seeds in your relationship, in your marriage, and all those kind of things. And we're going to eat the fruit of that. In fact, in, uh, I believe it's in Isaiah 57, the, the Lord says, I create the fruit of the lips. Some of you are eating the fruit from the seeds you planted Last week or yesterday, you're starting to eat the fruit of that in your relationship. There's arguments, there's discord and all these kind of things. 
because of the seeds that you planted. Listen, we're all guilty of it, right? It's all a problem in America. Anytime you have a relationship with anybody, communication is a big deal. And in marriage, I'm telling you that the majority of the people I have ever, and we've counseled hundreds and hundreds of couples in the decades, and I'm seeing that that is really a big issue. Sex, money, and communication. Those are the big issues. That's the big three. And communication probably is the biggest. Because you get your communication figured out, there's going to be good sex. Somebody can say amen or oh me. So when we speak to each other, we create life or death in our marriage, in our home, and relationship. Let me read this to you out of the book of James, chapter 3. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body. He's talking about the words you speak. He says, it's set on fire, the course of nature, and it's set on fire by hell. I'm going to tell you, the devil knows how to use your words. And by the way, this is, this is free. Men, your words have greater weight than women's words. I'm just going to tell you right, our voices are deeper, we're stronger in our voice. I mean, we can say some things that are so hurtful, I mean, it's like stabbing them over and over again. And a woman can say the same thing, it does not have the same effect on a man as a man's words does to a woman. And so our words are powerful. And men, you need to pay attention to that. I mean, you and I can talk about stuff, we can get in each other's face. You know, that's what, I mean, we can kind of work that all out. You can't do that with your wife. I'm going to tell you. She's, she's already thinking some other things right now. But I'm just saying, men, your words have greater weight than a woman's words. Now, ladies, I'm not saying what you say is not important. It is important. It's just that we're big, we're tough, we're gruff, we're strong. Our voices are deep. And we don't mind getting in somebody's face, including yours. Because we do that with men sometimes. Women are not like this. They're, they're sweet for the most part. <clears throat> for the most part. But, anybody remember who Dr. Kevorkian is? If you don't, he was the guy who did all the assisted suicides. Some of you are the Dr. Kevorkians of your marriage. You're assisting the suicide of your marriage with the words you speak. And whatever you're praising or criticizing him or her about is what they will become. And if you don't like the fruit, change your words. Because you're always saying, Lord, change him, or Lord, change her. Can I just tell you what? They will change when your words change. Because, listen, uh, the Bible says God's going to create the fruit of your lips, life and death are in the power of the tongue. The tongue is set on fire of hell. We just read all of that. And so your words are the seeds. And if you don't like the crop, you need to pray for crop failure and plant some different seeds. And when you do that, I think over time you're going to start seeing some new crops new fruit. Gary Smalley, I don't know if you've ever heard of Gary Smalley. He went to be with the Lord a number of years ago, several years back. But he illustrated the difference between men and women this way. He said, men are like buffaloes and women are like butterflies. That's the way he kind of explained that. They can flit. And so that's how he compared it. Women are like butterflies. I mean, they're delicate. I mean, they, they, they can flit and flutter and fly and do all these kind of things. They see their environment, their atmosphere so differently 
I mean, they see the delicacy and the sweetness of a flower and they can land on that. They get this panoramic view of all their surrounding. They notice the beauty of the smallest, tiniest flower and they respond to anything in the environment they respond to. If you tape a, tape a little pebble to the wing of a butterfly, they're not going to fly. In fact, they probably will die. That's how women are. Men are like buffaloes. I mean, I mean we're rough, we're callous. We don't care if it's 40 miles an hour or wind out there. We just go and do our stuff and just keep doing our thing. You can tape a pebble on our back or a rock on our back. We don't even know it's there. And you know, uh, we, can, we step on flowers. We don't pay any attention to the environment around us. We're buffaloes. We're rough. That's how men are. Ladies, that's how men are. And uh, look, buffaloes aren't rotten because they step on flowers. I mean, his toughness is an asset. You realize a buffalo can pull uh, a plow that 10 men or 20 men couldn't even pull? So there's, an ass, there's assets to each of us and what God has created us to do. But here's the analogy. Ladies are delicate. They're beautiful. They're sensitive. They're easily damaged. Men, we're like a bunch of snorting, grunting, burping animals. And a pebble on a butterfly's wing may take the form of a sarcastic remark, a sharp criticism, an indifferent attitude, and a pebble on the buffalo's back is ignored and unnoticed. Have you ever noticed, ladies, how you can say whatever you want to say to a man, he just says, oh, whatever. But a man can say something, and I'm telling you, she's going to carry that hurt around with her for weeks and or months. Communication. Jordan, you want to come share anything? <clears throat> I, I noticed you right there. And... Oh, you're getting some elbows? I'm sure you're not the only one here. <laughs> so I've discovered something that's helped me with my communication I want to share with you. And so uh, men, I think this may be directed more toward you than it is the women, because the women are the butterflies. They're delicate. They're sweet. They, they see their environment. They, I see men as most of the problem, because I'm a man. And uh, Jeannie can come talk about women if she wants to, but I'm, I, I just want to talk to you about uh, a communication technique that I learned it's called red flags and green flags. Red flags and green flags. Red flags mean you better stop. You better quit saying what you're saying. I mean, these are things that are hitting a nerve. A green flag, um, and by the way, red flags are things that are dangerous. In other words, when there's a red flag that goes up, I mean, when you're saying something that's hurtful, whether it's intentional or not, that would be a red flag. Go there. You don't explore that hurt or bruise or criticize. These are, these are things that you say that you shouldn't go there. You don't explore that. I mean, it's like, hey, those jeans look like, look like they're getting really tight on you. That's a red flag. <clears throat> and then there are green flags. That means keep going. You're on to something. This is good. Come on. That's great. I like that. You know, they're the things that you say that draw her close and make her feel good. Like, wow, your hair looks really good today. We know that's a green flag. So men and ladies, we're talking about red flags and green flags. Green flags are wonderful. They build, they, uh, they edify, they create a relationship and friendship, they soothe, they encourage, they support. So there are things that we say that can fire people up or melt them down. Do you, do you understand what I'm talking about? Certain things that we say that are red flags and green flags. There are things that bring life into the relationship, things that bring death. There's green flags 
there are, are red flags. Okay, last night we talked about going camping. Remember we were talking about, Gene and I, we went camping horseback, and we went up in the mountains, there were bears up there, that kind of thing. And so I don't want to go and rehearse that, but on that camping trip, uh, Jeannie said something to me because, you know, we were out there, and she said to me, that's a red flag. And so, uh, so during that camping trip, I went through a training program, <laughs> and uh, I began to see the difference between right things to say and wrong things to say. In other words, men, you don't say, well, well, honey, look, there are probably a lot of wild animals out here, but don't worry, they're not going to bother you. Red flag. <laughs> oh, if there's snakes in the tent, don't worry, they're more afraid of you than you are of them. Red flag. I mean, beef jerky is good for you. You can pick it out of your teeth when we get home. Red flag. <laughs> You know, it's probably going to rain, but you're not going to get too wet. Red flag. So, I mean, so I'm going through this education process on a camping trip that I think really probably helped our marriage. Red flags, green flags. All right, so let me give you some examples of red flags and green flags. Now, you tell me whether or not you think it's a green flag or a red flag, okay? Will you help me out with this? Okay, honey, I like the bathing suit you have on. But boy, your legs look like you're wearing thermal underwear. <laughs> Honey, they're having a two-for-one sale on Slim Fast. You want me to get you some? Red flag. <laughs> but are you losing weight? Oh, wow, you're looking so thin. If you keep losing weight, I won't be able to find you. Green flag. Amen. She's probably glad about that because she's tired of you slobbering all over her. And that's why she's losing that way. So you're not going to, anyway, you won't be able to find her. Um, green flag or red flag? Okay. Uh, Jeannie, I really like how your gray hair is coming in on the sides. <laughs> Smell the pot. You said, your wife cooks and you go to sniff it. You smell the pot. You said, man, this smells just like a, when you open a can of dog food up. Red flag or green flag? Red flag, all right. Oh, thanks for supper, honey. If you think the dog will eat the scraps, why don't you give it to them? Red flag. Okay, just want to see if you're following me. Uh, ladies, you slave all day, you clean your house. He finally comes home and he walks in and says, Man, this place smells like Clorox. Red flag. Okay. You're following me, this is good. Okay, man, I want you to pay attention because this is going to help you out because we need to live in the green flag world, not the red flag world. And I know you're going to, ha you're going to have some red flags. This is going to happen. But if you can figure it out ahead of time, if you can get smart enough to think about it before you say it, thank God you might survive your marriage. Amen. Um, how about this? Um, honey, uh, the wife says, honey, the battery's dead in the smoke detector. He said, well, after you burn three cobblers and use it for a timer, no wonder. So energizers just don't stay as healthy as they used to. That's a red flag, right? Oh, honey, you sure have a lot of wrinkles. I didn't notice that. Red flag. By the way, I just want you to know there was a survey done, and uh, I think you need to know this. It says the women that carry a little extra weight live longer than men that mention it. That's the latest survey. Men never say whether you believe it or not. Your butt looks big in those jeans. Never say it. 
Never say it. Look, marriage would be eternal bliss if somebody could come up with a cure for the common tongue. Because we all have one, don't we? It's hard to take back what you've already spoken. You know, it's like, it's like taking pieces of paper and throwing them into the wind and then trying to pick them back up again. It's just not possible. That's how your words are. And our words are so important because that's what communication is all about. And many things that we say I know are innocent. I mean, they weren't meant to harm or to hurt. But sometimes they crush for men, our ego, and women, your self-worth and your self-esteem. Sometimes we don't mean it, but it just happens this way. I mean, you, uh, and you know, and when we say words sometimes, we start to pout. Does anybody know what pouting is? Has anybody ever pouted before? All of you have. You're a bunch of pouters. In fact, I see people on Facebook and all this stuff, and they, they, they're doing their lips, women particularly, they, they do their lips. I don't even know how they do it. They've got that pout look. I guess that's supposed to be cute or something. I think it looks stupid. but um, Pout is a verb that means to express disapproval or resentment by protruding the lips to look sulky or sullen. That's what the word pout means. When a, when a person pouts, they're really just, they get angry. That they're displeased or hurt by something that someone did or said. And sometimes they get angry. And rather than work out a solution... Uh, they just stop communicating with words, and they start to pout. They get quiet. They get reserved. They, they, they draw in. You know, children are expert at pouting. Have you noticed that? I mean, they don't get their way. Next thing you know, they got that lip way out there. They're just pouting. And you know, the problem is that you practice pouting as a child. You perfected it as an adult. Now, you may not be sticking your lip out right now, but I'm just going to tell you, pouting knows no bounds or boundaries because most of us use the same technique in our marriage. I mean, adult pouting is less about throwing a fit and sticking out your lip. It's more about not talking. That's what pouting is. We give them the silent treatment. Come on, isn't that right? If we can just give them the silent treatment, they're going to eventually get it, right? That's so dumb. We're dumb as a rock sometimes. But it sure makes us feel good. But we're not happy. Not happy at all. And so, uh, listen, pouting in a marriage reduces one person to the child. It reduces one person as a child and the other as the adult, and both are not happy. So if you've been the powder, you're like the child, and the other one has to act like the adult or the parent. And nobody's going to be happy. They're going to be miserable. So we need to fight through communication problems. And so let me jump into this. That's my introduction, by the way. So let me jump into some things that might help you. Let me give you some practical things. Because Paul the Apostle talks about two kinds of communication. He talks about edifying communication. And he talks about uh, corrupt communication. In Ephesians 4, here's what it says. It says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification, that it might impart grace to the hearers. Paul is talking about two kinds of communication here. Corrupt and edifying. That's the kind of communication you're going to have that comes out of your mouth. It's going to be one or the other. It's going to either be corrupt or it will be edifying. Corrupt means to be worthless or rotten. That's what, the, what it means in the Greek. It means to be rotten. I mean, anything that rotten stink, it stinks, as we know. And anything that rotten that stinks is worthless. So corrupt communication is something that st it stinks. I mean, it's worthless. It doesn't have any value whatsoever. 
corrupt communication for the hearer kills something. It destroys, it steals, it steals happiness. So when we have corrupt communication that comes out of our mouth, it does not help our relationship. It kills the relationship. It is a relationship killer. Paul talks about these two things, corrupt and edifying. So let's focus for a few minutes on corrupt communication. There are four things that will harden a relationship because we have corrupt communication. Uh, in other words, communication that is rotten, that stinks, it doesn't edify, it doesn't build up, it really kills and destroys. So here are the four things. Number one, lying corrupts communication. Uh, in a truth with his 25, Paul says, therefore putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Lying is the first type of communication that corrupts. I mean, your, your character is determined by what you stand for, what you fall for, and what you lie for. And if you're, if you're truthful with one another, your communication cannot be corrupted. But if you lie, or you're untruthful in some particular way, and they say, well, it's just a little white lie. It's just a little half lie. You know, a half lie is a whole lie, in case you hadn't figured that part out. And so we try to justify not being truthful all the time. I mean, if you're burying situations and don't communicate, your heart's going to grow hard. I mean, ladies, you get mad at something, and, and, uh, and your husband's, maybe something your husband said, and so you quit talking to him, you quit loving, you quit communicating, and after three days he said, well, what's wrong? What's wrong with you? And you say, oh, no, oh nothing, there's nothing. You're lying like a dog. You know there's something wrong, and he knows that you know that there's something wrong. That is corrupt communication. You follow what I'm saying? And your heart starts to get hard when that happens. Some of you have openly lied to the other, and you know it. Communication is shut down at that particular moment. And, uh, and that's why we've got to ask God to cleanse us, correct us. I mean, I mean, you cannot trust the other person if you're not telling them the truth. In a relationship, look, two became one. And so there's got to be some transparency at some point in time. And so if, if you're going to live with corrupt communication, and this is a problem with some marriages, and I'm not talking about lying that you're trying to hide a lot of stuff, but sometimes that's true, but you're just not truthful with the other person. Your heart will get hard if, you, if you're not speaking openly and honestly with the other person. Look, get it out and get it over with. That's the easiest way to deal with stuff. Just get it out and get it over with. And you know, I find that if you can just kind of just, okay, look, I, this, this is what I believe, this is what I think, this is what I said. You know, at least it starts a conversation. So lying is a, is a relationship and trust killer. It's the easiest way to ruin your family and to ruin your marriage. Number two, anger corrupts communication. Paul said, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Uh, wrong anger is a sin. Now, there's, a, there's an anger that's not wrong. But he says wrong anger is a sin. You know, the, the old saying is that he who has a sharp tongue will soon cut his own throat, which is true. So anger is not something you can decide you'll never have. I mean, if like in the beginning of this year you said, okay, in 2022, I'm never going to be angry. I'm going to make sure I'm never angry. But in, at the end of February, first part of March, you get a three-foot snow uh, here in Billings, and you drive out of your driveway, and you get stuck at the bottom. Your wheels are spinning. Let's see how good that resolution is. You know, you just can't make those kind of promises because there's going to be things that are going to tick anger, corrupt, right? Come on, let's be honest today about relationship. Anger corrupts communication. And in a relationship or marriage or home, 
There's going to be times when somebody's just going to get mad. Something you did, something you said uh, is going to tick that other person off and you're going to blow your top. I mean, enough friction causes fire. And it could be stress that you're dealing with at work, men or ladies at home. Maybe, you're, maybe it's something with the kids, I don't know. Maybe it's the financial situation. You know, you're just, you're in debt, you don't know what to do, you've got bills to pay, and you're feeling this weight upon you. I mean, all that stuff causes friction, and the wrong words said at the wrong time. I mean, somebody's going to blow their top. And that's why we have problems in our marriage. Look, anger is just one letter short of danger. And we must have some self-control, but sometimes our flesh and humanness comes through. You know, I pray sometimes, I said, Lord, when I step away, from my huma- step away from myself and I see my humanity, I don't like what I see. I don't like my humanity. But we all have it. And we all make mistakes. And anger happens in a flash or rush of emotions. Something is triggered, maybe a disappointment, a frustration, maybe an emotional hurt. No one plans to get angry. Sometimes it just happens. It's going to happen in a relationship. And so uh, when somebody tells me, we've been married all these years, we've never gotten in an argument, I'm thinking, you're lying like a dog. I guarantee you've had a disagreement. You have, you, I mean, maybe you, just, maybe you just kind of shut it up and didn't say anything, so you never got an argument, but I guarantee you there was disagreement. Because you're two different people. You're making up a marriage. You're one in the eyes of God, but you're two individual people that think differently, act differently. We talked about the differences between men and women last night. But uh, anger happens. Uh, I'll give you an example. Man, you're working on the lawnmower. You got the engine apart. You've been working on this thing all morning long trying to get the stupid thing to run. And you finally figured it all out, and you're putting it all back together, and a pin drops down into the motor. And for the last two hours, you've been fishing around trying to get that goofy pin out of there, and your wife comes into the garage, and she looks at you, and she says, are you still working on that lawnmower? And I mean, boom, you, just, you blow up. Yeah, red flag. For her, that's a red flag. <clears throat> Thank you. I appreciate that. And you lose your fury because uh, you're frustrated. You know, hidden hurt causes anger. Some of you have hidden hurt. It came from when you were a child, maybe. Maybe you were abused. Maybe in the workplace, somebody didn't treat you right. And sometimes innocently we step, I call it a bruise. Sometimes we, we accidentally step on a bruise by something we say, am I right about this? And I've I, I probably done it innocently. There was, I mean, I didn't intend to hurt anybody or hurt my wife or anything. But I said something or did something to step on a bruise that I didn't know she had. And so this anger erupts. That's why Paul says, don't let the sun go down upon your anger. Don't give place to the devil. You know, when you're both angry, you quit communicating, you quit talking, and you go to bed, you don't talk in the morning, three days, three days go by. Can I tell you what's happening? You've given place to the devil. I'm going to tell you, the devil loves it. He loves to divide things. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. For every minute that you're angry, you lose 60 seconds of happiness. So I don't know, you just make your own choice, I guess. But one more thing, whether you're on a road uh, or whether you're on a road or in an argument, when you see red, you need to stop. And sometimes there's a red light that you just need to stop for. And when I get angry with Jeannie sometimes, she says something to me that ticks me off. You want to hear what she says to me when I get a little upset with her? She said, are you really angry? 
Or are you just being self-centered? I mean, it's like microphone drop. I'm just, I'm, I'm out of here. <laughs> it's over. Because she's right. I'm just being self-centered. Let me give you number three. Bitterness corrupts communication. Paul says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Bitterness is an unresolved issue uh, uh, or hurt in your life. It's a problem causer. Uh, unresolved, if it's not resolved, it's going to come out eventually in bitterness. And you just can't say, well, it's under the blood. I mean, I'm saved now. It's under the blood, and Jesus took care of it. I mean, that's fine, but it's still unresolved. And at some point, something's going to step on it. It's going to cause hurt and bitterness in your heart. Bitterness, let me just give you the Greek definition out of the Bible. It comes from the idea of piercing or and that's women. And when you're angry, it's easy to use words that cut or pierce. And that's women and men. Men are better at it, I think, than women. But we know the right thing to say. Women know how to press the button. But men can cut you down so quick. They can slash your throat so fast with words they speak. Because that's what bitterness is. Bitterness is the opposite of love. You're never going to have a healthy home or family or relationship if you're always cutting someone down. And you cut someone down because there's something in your heart that's gotten hard or bitter. Bitterness is the opposite of love. It imprisons, paralyzes, sours, sickens, blinds life. It doesn't heal. It doesn't release. It doesn't empower love. Forgiveness is the key that unlocks the door of resentment and handcuffs bitterness. We need to do that. We need to figure out how to forgive. You know, I've said this so many times. You don't have to be wrong to repent. In a relationship, somebody needs to get the ball moving. And I've said this to so many couples because they all, they get, they get in their corners, you know, because they got their gloves on. They're ready to fight. It's like in a boxing ring. And they're, so they're waiting for the, you know, are you ready to rumble? You know? And so uh, waiting for the bell to ring so they can come out and start hitting each other. You know, at some point in time, if somebody just says, look, I repent. Now, they may, be, they, they may not be the guilty party. It doesn't really matter. You're trying to find out how to have a healthy relationship. You don't have to be wrong to repent. Just start the ball moving. Say, look, I, I was wrong. I'm sorry I said what I said. I'm sorry I did what I did. Would you please forgive me? Now, you may have been in the right. But, I mean, you win the battle? I mean, is that, is that going to really help you out because you just won the battle, battle, even though you know you're right? So you fought this battle. How does that make you feel? Okay, I won. Hallelujah. I got it. I got it. But they're over there hurting, weeping, crying, wanting to leave the relationship and marriage. But I won. I won. I just lost. Red flag. And so uh, thank you, Daniel, for getting that for me. Um, Picking it up now is not going to help me, but <laughs> since it all spilled out. <clears throat> so it's important for us to learn how to forgive, and you don't have to be wrong to repent. Let me give you the fourth thing. Argu arguing corrupts communication. Arguing. You know what an argument is? It's where two people try to get in the last word first. Isn't that true? Paul says, put all clamoring away from you. The word clamor means to fuss, to quarrel. Uh, the root word means to croak like a frog, that's men, or to scream like a raven, that's a woman. That's what arguing. Women scream, men croak. Everybody wants to be right in a fight. 
Everybody wants to win in a fight. We just talked about that. But I found that the weaker the argument, the stronger the words. Thank you for doing that. It wasn't coffee, so that might be a blessing. Um, is weak. And so, like I say, we want to be right about everything, but when your argument is weak, you use stronger words. Come on, does anybody, are you identifying with anything I'm saying today? The only people who really listen to an argument are the neighbors. You know, when you're arguing, it's like tying the tail of two cats together. You need to tie the tail of two cats together and hang them over a clothesline. There is relationship, but there is no fellowship. They're fighting each other. That's what that's like. Thank you for doing that. I'm so sorry. Thank God. I'm glad that's old carpet. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just. <clears throat> red flag. <laughs> Most of you argue over things that are so ridiculous, like Jeannie. She gets so mad at me because she said, you leave, and I have like five drawers in my chest of drawers. She says, you leave all your drawers open. I said, I do not. She says, come on in here. I looked in there, and they were all open, you know, about this much. And that bothered her. My first thought was, let's get over it. It's not a big deal. What's a big deal? Red flag. I know you're red flag. And so I try to close my drawers. Am I doing better? Yes. Say it. I mean, not all five are open. Huh? All right. Am I doing better? Okay. Are most of the drawers closed? Some. See, not, see, not all five are open anymore. Come on, give myself a hand. Thank you very much. Thank you. Woo, come on. I'm happy with myself. All right, let's talk about edifying communication. There are four things that I want to share because a marriage, your marriage is going to be 100% better when you learn how to say words that are edifying, that build up. Number one, speak with grace. Colossians 4 says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. The word grace in the original language, Greek language, means to the benefit, to be acceptable, to have divine influence and in reflecting gratitude. That's what grace is. It's about being thankful. It's about, it's about having some kind of divine influence that's acceptable to the person that you've spoken these words to. But grace, the root word means gracious. Gracious. You know, we say, hopefully we say grace or give thanksgiving before a meal. And so what we're really doing is we're, we're trying to be thankful. Amen. I see your hand up. Did you want to ask something? What was the fourth one? The fourth one was arguing corrupts communication. Gotcha. Okay. Thanks. I don't mind you interrupting. So, I mean, this is a, a conference. So in a conference, if you want to get up and walk out, I mean, I understand that. And, <clears throat> but we're not going to refunch. I don't know if we ask you for anything, but it, anyway, you're not getting lunch. <clears throat> That's a green flag right there. But you've got to speak with grace. You've got to speak with grace. You know, sometimes our words are not laced with grace. Isn't that true? I mean, uh, this is a principle we have to use in our marriage. We need to learn to be, have graceful words, words of thanksgiving. 
speak or giving grace or thanks to one another. You know, I think we take for granted what each of us do and what we contribute to the relationship and to the marriage. And we don't pass along that appreciation. And particularly after you've been married for a while. I mean, in the early, early years of your marriage, you're thanking them for everything. Oh, thank you for waking up today. Oh, thank you for this. Oh, thank you for that. We're so thankful. And then as it gets farther down the line, we don't even think about each other. I mean, husbands, you ought to take the time to thank your wife for meals. I mean, if you did this, she might fall out on the floor, not because something needed to be cleaned up like Daniel just did, but because she fainted, because you never thanked her for anything. And I told, told you last night that Jeannie's cooked over 30,000 meals for me in our years of marriage, and I can't thank her? What's wrong with me? And men, if you can't thank your wife for washing your clothes, vacuuming the floor, and all these kind of things. Can I just tell you right now, there's something wrong with you. So you've got to have some grace in your words. Now, Jeannie only cooked one meal out of all those 30,000. She hates it when I talk about this. Too bad. Red, it's a red flag that I'm willing to, I'm taking the risk on. <clears throat> For the sake of illustration. In our early part of our marriage, I don't, I don't think we've been married more than about three months. She cooked a tuna casserole. Now, I love tuna, but not in a casserole. And I'm going to tell you, when I took that first bite, I mean, I about gagged, but I got it down. And I tried, I said, I, I thanked her for the meal, and I very politely, with words of grace, I didn't get on to her, I didn't get mad at her. I just said, you know, I would, I would really like it, uh, and just suggested and preferred in the future that she not cook that. Thank God she heard those words. I have not had a tuna casserole in the last 40, almost 48 years, and all the people said, amen. Thank you. Somebody said, thank God. Gracious words heals wounds. Uh, you go to dinner with friends, men, and you go overboard about the dinner and how great it was, but then you go home, and she cooks you probably the most amazing meal that week, and you finish up, and you just belch a couple of times. You start scratching yourself, and you go over to the, to the uh, into your uh, uh, living area and your uh, family room, and you plop yourself down there and pull the remote out. You don't even say thank you. Boy, but you go overboard at the friend's house. How do you think that makes her feel? Those are not your husband, too. He works grace. You're not speaking with grace. Wives, by the way, you ought to appreciate your husband, too. He works hard, comes back. He's been out in the cold all day long if he's been working like that. And he's helped provide, and I know you probably work, too, but, I mean, he's trying to provide and, and work hard and take care of your, the family and all these kind of things. And you don't even say thank you. You, you ought to just wrap your arms around his neck sometime and just say, thank you for what you do for our family. What well, would even be better if you showed up at the door wrapped up in saran wrap that's, oh wait, that's the next, that's the last session. <clears throat> Sorry about that. I, I got ahead of myself. If you're having trouble, ladies, getting your husband to do anything, if you'll just be thankful. Like, honey, I can't change that light bulb that's way up there. Could you do that for me? And he does. He gets a ladder out, he gets up there. He doesn't want to do it, he's, he's tired. He does it, but then you, say, you give him a big hug and kiss. Thank you so much. You, that meant so much to me. He's going to say, uh, what else do you need me to do, baby, while I'm here? <laughs> you just want, you try that, ladies. You're, is that true? <laughs> okay, you're stuck. I'm sorry. 
It's like a pastor friend of mine, he washed his wife's car. True story. He, wa- he washed his wife's car. She didn't, it was dirty. She didn't ask him to do it. I guess maybe they run it through the car wash every once in a while. But he hand washed it. I mean, it was sparkling. And she comes out and says, I can't believe, why, is this my car? I mean, she just went on and on and on about it. And so, I mean, it, I mean his ego, I mean, it done, did something to his ego. And she was walking away. She thanked him. She kissed him. You know, one of those kind of things. And she kissed him and hugged him. <laughs> and, and as she's walking back in the house, she says, hey, hey, baby, you need me to wax that for you? <laughs> you know, that's how men are. That's men. That's how men are. Ladies, words with grace. Men, words with grace. That's edifying communication. Number two, be kind to one another. Paul says, Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as Christ or God in Christ forgave you. Some are more kind to their pets than they are each other. I mean, you get up in the morning, some, hey, come over here, little puppy dog. Oh, come over here, let me rub you over here. And then the wife or the husband walks by and you go, ah, ah, growling at him, snapping at him. Be kind. Show more kindness to your spouse than your dog or your cat. It's easier to do it with a dog. Uh, there's some cat lovers here, I'm sure. I'll get an email on that, I guess. Think about this. People are willing to overlook any fault of anyone who's kind. Isn't that true? The kindness of people are those who forgive and forget. Kindness is an insignia of a loving heart. And nobody ever resents kindness. I don't know anybody that resents kindness. And edifying. That's edifying communication. Number three is tender-hearted to each other is an edifying communication. Being tender-hearted is the opposite of being hard-hearted. In the in the original language, in the Greek language, that word means to be compassionate, to show compassion or pity. It's genuine sensitivity towards someone. You know, God is compassionate to you all the time. You ought to be glad I'm not God. I'd fry your hide. I would. I mean, but he's compassionate. And by the way, there are five times in the, in the New Testament where Jesus, the Bible said, and Jesus showed compassion. Every single time there was a miracle. Every single time there was a miracle. There's something about compassionate words, edifying words, tenderheartedness is being compassionate. I mean, how do you have compassion on your, on your spouse? Well, understand the hurt or what it is they're going through. I mean, put your feet in their shoes or in their place to try to figure out where in the world are they coming from. It takes a little effort to do that, I understand, but it gives you compassion because you don't know uh, what they've gone through in their life. I mean, I've been married to Jeannie for 47 years. Every once in a while, I'll hear something that she'll share about her childhood. I said, well, I never knew that. So you're always learning about those kind of things. And so if we don't have compassion or pity, what's going to happen is we bruise people. Remember I talked about bruising people a few moments ago? We'll step on a bruise. We'll bump on a bruise. You know, a bruise hurts every time you move. You ever notice that? And so it's a constant reminder of something in the past. So when you're hard-hearted, there's no love, there's no care, there's no healing. Let me give you the fourth fourth thing so that I can give Jeannie some opportunity here. But you need to forgive one another. That's that's the edifying communication, forgiving one another. Because in a marriage, you need to bury the hatchet, but not in the back. (laughs) 
But we need to figure out how do we bury the hatchet. Some of you are thinking about that and talking about burying the hatchet <clears throat> in the back. But it's easier to forgive than to get even. You know, it costs a lot to get even with somebody. It, it takes time, it takes energy, it takes a lot of emotion, all those kind of things. It's a lot of hatred. It's a lot of waste of energy. Forgiveness, I want you to think about this. Forgiveness is first seeing your own faults. If you just go look in the mirror, can I tell you right now, uh, you probably have a lot more faults than you think. You're not as good as you think you are. I'm going to say that again. You're not as good as you think you are. But that's why we need to learn about forgiveness because you don't have to think about forgiving someone else when you start seeing your own faults. When I start seeing my own faults, it's a whole lot easier for me to be compassionate, to be caring, to have grace, all these things that I'm sharing with you right now. But here's a thought that I think will help something wrong, a happy marriage. When somebody blows it or messes up or does something wrong, don't rub it in. Rub it out. That's what forgiveness does. Marriage is a commitment to an imperfect person. It's a commitment. And uh, it's the commitment to seeing them grow. It's about speaking graciously, tenderheartedly. It's about forgiving. And if you don't forgive, it's like holding a mortgage over their head that they can never pay. In their lifetime, they'll never pay. You know, I'm thinking about Isaiah 59. It says, your sins pile up before God. Your sins pile up before God as a testimony against you. How can you ever, how can you ever reduce the size of that pile on your own? You could have 20 lifetimes, and that pile will never go down. You've got to have somebody that shows you grace, compassion, love, and forgiveness for that pile to disappear. Same way in a relationship. Look, all of us are sensitive to things that are said, but the truth is words can hurt. They can corrupt our relationship. And so I want you to think about um, words of life, words of death, words that edify, words that corrupt. I want you to think about the red flags and the green flags. And I think this will be a start to help you uh, heal or to have, a, some of you probably have a great relationship. This is, this is going to make it even better. Amen? All right, did you get anything out of this? Did this help you at all? Amen. <clears throat> Let me pray for you, and then I'm going to turn this over to Jeannie. Lord, thank you for this group of wonderful people that have gathered here. Lord, we want to do more than anything. Is we want to communicate better. Lord, we're not good at it. Men particularly are not good at it. Lord, we just don't know sometimes the words to use. And the words we use sometimes are so rough and hurtful. It's because we've been hurt. Our ego has been damaged. And Lord, sometimes we steal the, st the self-esteem of our wife with those words because our communication is corrupt. And sometimes the, our, our wives, Lord God, they say things that hurt us and resist them many of us and destroy our ego and we don't feel their admiration and their love and so Lord, we just resist them many times. And I'm asking you, Lord, to heal any hurts right now in our heart, anything that we brought into a relationship, anything that's there right now. Lord, we don't want uh, anger to, to destroy us. We don't want the sun to go down on our wrath, and we don't want to give place to the devil anymore. And so in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you for the healing that you provide for us, and thank you for this word in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.
Hey, hey. I'll tell you, I appreciate that because Elizabeth and I work on positive reinforcement in our home. And I have this terrible quirk. If I have a hard time receiving affirmation, I think it runs in my family. She'll say something to try to butter me up and I bristle it off. Like I don't believe it. But I did notice the more she does it. And she might be getting through a little bit. And I thought, am I, what's happening to me? And what it is is positive reinforcement goes a long way. So thank you, Brother Michael.